I'm your host, Grayson Brolty. Welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today, a show about emerging technology and trends in mobility with the leaders and innovators who make it all happen. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to be joined by Steve Rober, Senior Vice President, Global Head of Automotive Research and Advanced Engineering, Stellantis. On today's episode, Steve discusses Stellantis' approach to the software-defined vehicle. We hope you enjoy this episode. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be on. It's great to have you here. Point blank, Stellantis has great brands. I mean, you've got some of the most iconic brands in the world. You have Jeep. You have Dodge. You have Fiat. You have Maserati. Ronald Reagan was a Maser- very proud Maserati owner, uh, both before presidency and, and after the, the presidency. So, Steve, to k- kick things off, you, you've got access to really cool toys. So how is Stellantis approaching new technologies that relates to R&D? We're looking, and that's a good point to bring up the brands because we're looking across the brands and we're looking at the needs. And I, I tell people that we have everything from a Fiat 500 or a Citroen, you know, at one end of the spectrum up to, like you said, the Maserati, even the Ram trucks. And it's amazing in the brands, a lot of them need the same basic components, the same basic technology. And a lot of them then diverge because obviously what you need in a low end Citroen, you know, low cost Citroen versus what you need and you know, an off-road Jeep or a Maserati are gonna be different. But you try to commonize as much as you can, you prioritize, and then you also realize where you have the overlaps because a lot of the user experience really like in a high-end Jeep is very similar to what you need in some of the high-end vehicles that you have like even a Maserati. So again, you look for the commonizations, you try to build that common platform where possible, but then you differentiate based on the style and the demands of each of the brands. Would you say a common platform, is that what's called Stellantis operating system that would go across a variety of your brands then? The Maserati team customizes theirs, the Jeep team customizes theirs. Is that how that works? That That's very, yeah, that's, that's accurate. Is that what you have is you really have a base platform in terms of hardware, software, even a lot of the mechanicals that you can wherever possible. And then you have the specific tailoring that you need for each type of vehicle, whether it be Fiat, Jeep, whatever it's going to be. But then you also have to take it a step further in that like on the user interfaces, you have different languages to deal with. So you not only have the brands, but you have the regional requirements as requirements for language and safety features and everything else. But again, it all comes back to building that base platform that can be shared as much as possible and then expanding it and defining it individually for each of the vehicles as you need to. So you're focused on research and advanced engineering and we're having a lot of uh automotive breakthroughs and one of the big ones is a 4d radar for example is getting a lot of attention so let's just say stellantis agrees that you're going to deploy 4d radar how do you determine what brand gets new technology before the other brand a lot of it is really what features each of the brands offer because you know the 4d radar is a a really good example is that it's good technology it reduces the cost of some of the systems that we have now you know it's a cheaper it's a cheaper way to do sensors versus like a lidar or something like that but it also gives you more capability. When you're where you really need that capability is where you have the higher end feature sets, like you have a level two plus US style hands-free driving or a level three, or even as you get into level four. So those vehicles that are equipped with those types of advanced systems will generally get that technology first. And then as you add volume, as you add capability, but drive down that cost, that's where some of the other, the other vehicles will get it because you've made it more available. You've put it on the premium systems first but then you've made it more available for everyone else. Do you put on the premium systems as the, the cost curve comes down, then you start to put it on some of the less premium brands? Generally, yes, but not all the time, because there are times where you have a specific need for some of the technology, even at some of you know what you'd consider 
the lower cost or even the mid-range brands that you have a specific requirement that they have to meet for safety. And that may be regional because, you know, for example, when you talk about the, the, four, you know, the, the 4D radar, is that you have different requirements for safety in Europe than you do in the US. You have different requirements in China, South America. So you may actually have to fill a niche need. It's not always first on the premium brands. How about, let's, let's take an iconic vehicle, the Dodge Ram. Mm -hmm. It has towing capability. So perhaps is there a new, new towing technology or new hitch technology comes out that you'll put it in, in that brand first, and then perhaps go to the Jeep brands and some of those have technology as well, or do they go to both of them at the same time? It really depends on the vehicle cycle, the timing, but you pick one as the lead, whether it's the Jeep or the Ram, but also you have to determine what you're doing with each vehicle because you know, you're going you're gonna to have a new hitch technology. You're going to have something like that that monitors the trailer. For example, if it's autonomy, most of the autonomy is for the vehicle itself. Then you have to introduce the towing capability in with the autonomy and you have to decide, all right, what's going to be your launch bed? Because you really don't want to launch everything at once on every vehicle. You want to learn from something on the advanced, you know, you want to learn from your first application and then apply it. You want to learn. And then on the other side, I'm going to, I'm harping a lot on the brands. You have very loyal customers that time and time again, they're getting a new Jeep. They perhaps have an old, I, I love the old CJ sevens. Perhaps they have an older CJ seven. And then same thing on the Ram side. How do you introduce this new technology while keeping the loyalty of, of what they're used to when they, when they buy a Jeep, it's that certain feel, that certain drive and the same on, on the Ram side. Well, you don't really all, when you introduce a lot of the new technology, the goal is not to completely alter the experience of the driving and the brand itself. It's to augment it. It's to add on to it. Like autonomy is a great example. You can still drive your Jeep. Pe most people want to drive their Jeep. They don't want to just be a passenger in a totally self-driven vehicle all the time. They want the experience of driving it. But there are times when you're on the road that you want to just let, take your hands off the wheel and say, all right, drive for a little bit. Give me some, you know, give me some rest, things like that. You're in a traffic jam. So it's not about changing the experience of that vehicle. It's about using some of the technology that we're developing to augment that experience and make it better. Okay, let's stay on the Jeep sense. You have, you have the Wagoneer. It's a family vehicle. You can take a, a lot of adults or children in that. Is there an L2 Plus system in, in there today for highway driving? We've announced we're going to be introducing one for that vehicle. I can't share the time frame with you, but the intention is, is again, is that you have the, on the different vehicles that you have the level two driving, then you introduce the level two plus driving. And then at some point you even take it beyond and go to the three and then hopefully the four, the level four. So Stellantis has a clear internal roadmap of where the company is hoping to go with autonomy. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to go back to, to brands now. You have all these iconic brands that earlier. What strategic advantage does that give Stellantis where you have all these iconic brands on underneath one company? Well, I mean, we've, we've talked about this and our CEO, Carlos Tavares has talked about this many times is that it gives you coverage across the market. You're, we're not a niche player in certain areas of the, you know, certain segments of the market. We have a broad set of brands that cover different people's needs from basic transportation to, you know, graduating to a little bit more comfort, luxury, uh, the off-road capability, the trucks. We, we cover as much as we can, but also because of the nature of the company and all of the components that have put us together between you know, Citroen, Peugeot, Opel, Fiat, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep. We also have a broad geographic coverage. So not only do we cover the different segments, we cover the different geographies. But that also comes back to what I said earlier about the technology, is that a lot of the technology we develop has, you know, broad applications, but then you have to have specific applications for that technology and specific implementations 
depending on the vehicle line and the geographic location where you're releasing it. You mentioned Peugeot. I want to give a shout out to your engineers. In the 90s, you had the Peugeot station wagons here in America, and they were fantastic. Um, it, was, it was a really great, fantastic vehicle. The glue that's going to hold all your brands together, as we alluded to earlier, is software. In, in your opinion, Steve, what does the future of software-defined vehicle look like to you? One of the things I always say about when people talk about the software-defined vehicle, and it's a very important topic, but I always caveat that with, it's a software-defined vehicle if you have the hardware correct. If you try to take an existing electrical architecture that you had, where you have fully distributed control, every feature has got its own electronic control unit, and they really play together once you integrate the vehicle, you can't really have a software-defined vehicle. You, what you really have to do is change the way that you architect the vehicle so that you have more centralized software, the systems have much more interoperability to them, much more upgradability to them, and you also leave yourself a lot of headroom for, for, for future growth. It used to be, and it's still a traditional way to do it, is that you size like a, a memory, a microcontroller throughput based on the features that you're defining and you leave yourself a little bit of headroom. The way that we're looking at the, update, the upgradability of the vehicle, the centralization of the software, the updates, you know, everything else, you need to allow yourself more headroom and also have more of that software centralized and the hardware flexible to give you different features. And that lets you do this whole concept of the software-defined vehicle that everyone talks about. You're going vertically integrated now. Yes. We have actually taken much more control. And the, and the semiconductor shortage really taught us a lot. And they were very painful lessons for us and everyone. Is that you can't just rely on someone else to give you, you know, basically what they want to use as their platform for microcontrollers, for other different chips. We've actually taken a lot of steps in the last couple of years to, and we've published what we call a green list, where we have a selection of microcontrollers that we want our suppliers to use rather than just using what they want to. So that we actually have more commonization in our vehicles. We actually can then work directly with the suppliers to say, here is our projected need. We source some of it directly. We also give them guidance much you know, farther out in time of what we think our volumes will be so that we're not susceptible to any single disruption in the market. We actually have fewer suppliers, we consolidate that sourcing and work more directly with them to make sure that we have the supply that we need. Is this one of the reasons that led the company, and it's a very, very smart, I give your board a lot of credit for this decision, strategic decision, to jointly produce semiconductors with Foxconn? Is that one of the reasons why? That's one of the reasons. There, there are a few reasons we've done it. One is the supply assurance, is that, again, we wanna work directly with suppliers and Foxconn is a very good partner on multiple fronts. We work with them on software development. We work with them on semiconductor development. But going back to semiconductors, they've actually had some experience in doing this. They are a good partner to work with. It gives us more control. It also lets us learn a lot more that instead of working with someone, we're actually doing it with them. We have a joint venture to develop it with them. So we get much more exposure to even the supply base of the semiconductor industry we specify a lot more of the direct design. So it actually gives us a lot more working. And it's not just Foxconn. We have other partners. We're, we're looking at doing some of this too, but you know, not to that level with Foxconn. But with Foxconn as well, what we're really trying to do is say, all right, it's a supply assurance issue. But also, if you look at the electrical architecture, and I alluded to, you can do a software-defined vehicle if you have the right electronics. 
so much of the electronics that we use, the microcontrollers, they're just new generations of the same types of things. To do a software-defined vehicle, you need more flexibility in how that input-output structure works, the amount of memory, everything else. And a lot of what we use at the higher end, these system-on-chips, as you talk about for infotainment, a lot of the companies that we deal with are used to doing consumer products and they're bringing it into automotive. Whereas as we get into more advanced infotainment, as we get into the data movement inside and outside of the car, and especially on autonomy, we need to take more control of how those chips are even architected and designed to make sure that they're specifically for our purpose. We have enough volume to drive that rather than reusing things that other people thought they would need and trying to reintroduce those into the automotive market. This could be your Apple M chip moment. When Apple introduced the the ARM-based M chips, the performance of the MacBooks went through the roof, power consumption went down, and it's a great product. Very good analogy. I'm a, I'm a spot on analogy. That's, that's really exactly the type of path that we're looking at doing. I have uh, several Apple M, M chip products and the performance has, has, has gone through the roof. Are you expecting to see the same thing from a, a massive performance increase, both from a, a vehicle standpoint, but then also from an infotainment experience as well? Oh, yes. I mean, if you look at the if, if you look at traditionally the vehicles, once, once they started to be, you know, have more of the electronic control units year on year, maybe you would need, you know, 10 percent more throughput and memory than you needed the year before. Each generation of the chips, you know, every three to five years, you may get 50 percent more. Those numbers are out the window. You need a lot more performance. You need a lot more capability, memory, and as I said, room for expansion. And that's a very good way to look at it is that, you know, that M-chip viewpoint, because we need to add on to it. We need to, to, to really more focus what we're doing. But as I said, right now, because we're using chips that were really intended for other markets in many cases, there's a lot of that silicon on the chip that we don't even use for specific applications. Once we start developing and specifying the chips for our application, we get a lot better utilization on the chip. We get better power management. Overall, it's actually a much better experience for the customer because we define what we need, we implement, and it works better for us to implement those technologies. And it's much better for the customer because they, those, those technologies are implemented in a way where they can make use of it. And then over time, will Sanders look for um, an over-the-air update program as you develop new technologies and you get them automotive grade, they, they pass certification, you'll push them out to your vehicles? Yes, very much. I mean, that, again, that's, that's, that's very standard in the industry now is that as you re-architect, and again, I go back to the way that the electronic architecture was, there were a lot of modules that you just couldn't do over-the-air updates. So there's a lot of features that are interoperable between the modules. And if you could up, if you could do an over the update over the air update on one module but not the other, you couldn't do the feature. As we go farther and do the software defined vehicles, the over the air updates are key because then what you want to do is not only convenience for the customer of improving features or adding new features, but you can actually take care of the whole vehicle from a from a strategy and the and the architecture standpoint. You can do it all through the over the air updates instead of only be able to do pieces of it. Solana has been very public. You've laid a very public roadmap around electrification. And you're putting new features and functions into the vehicle. I think about power consumption a lot. So how do you balance these new features with the demand for the power consumption to make the vehicle go from, from point A to point B? We've actually been talking to some of the players in the PC industry about that because they've actually had a lot of experience as they go from desktop to laptop of how do you do power management? Because the way that most vehicles work now, everything is on all the time. As you, especially as you start to electrify, you really want to save on that power consumption. 
So you start to look at the features in the vehicle that what needs to be on all the time. Obviously, the safety features do. But there are certain things that you can look at and say, okay, do we power down this feature for a period of time as long as we can power it back up quickly and get a good response? But that, that also changes the architecture of the vehicle, which right now with the traditional architecture, you really can't do. But as you go forward and improve your electrical architectures, you can put in features like that for power savings. That's really neat. Where did the inspiration come from to talk to the laptop community? Because it's really smart and neat. Actually, we had some of the startups and some of the traditional companies come to us. And, I, and this was announced even at CES is that Intel is taking some of that technology into the automotive market. They're one of the companies that we have been working with and, and are really starting to work with in more detail because again, they have a lot of experience on this. And as, we, as we're working in automotive, you know, we've had our traditional supplier base that we've used for technology. As you reach out to some of these new players or people who have been sort of in and out of the automotive market, there's a lot that they can bring, bring to the market, bring to the auto designs based on things they've learned somewhere else. And this is a prime example of that. I like that you have to learn. That's the whole key to building a great product, in my opinion, is, is learning from mul multiple disciplines. You perhaps you can learn somebody that understands nuclear fusion. Okay, well, it's something <laughs> that you might have grabbed a piece from this or a piece of that. So Intel is no longer a startup. They're a very large publicly traded company. But you go out and you engage with the startup community. How is Stellantis engaging with the startup community? Let's say pre-seed, series A, those younger, smaller companies that have a really big idea. We've actually been taking a couple of different approaches on this. One is we directly invest in some, a lot of these companies, a lot of the startups that we do capital investments, we get a board seat, et cetera. It gives them access to our technology. There's also companies that we go out that we choose not to invest in, but we do projects. We seed some project money with them so that they can look at applying their technology to one of our problems. So we've done that with you know small companies, mid companies, what we're also doing is if when you talk about startup companies, everyone in the US thinks Silicon Valley, but you have to really take a global approach to this, that there are companies in Europe, there's companies in the US. There's actually, it's, a lot of people don't realize that there's a good ecosystem in parts of Canada that do this, which as an American, you don't think of Canada, you know, but they are, and I know disrespect to anyone, but they've got a lot of good startups there. There's also a lot of startup technology, for example, in South America that has been overlooked that is really, I mean, there's a lot of good engineering talent in these different parts of the world that we're really trying to incorporate into this ecosystem and use. Thank you for highlighting global. There's really great starts. We've seen some out of Italy, there's some out of France, and there's a lot in South America. It's gonna be interesting to see where Argentina goes with the, the, the new president. But how do you engage with some of these companies? So France has uh, Viva, La, Viva La Tech, which is a big showcase for, for French startups, and the French government gets behind it along with, with LVMH. But some of these smaller developing nations do not have that support, but they have really great companies, if especially you, you go into Brazil or you, you go into Ecuador, for example. How are you finding them? Is it, do you have a scout network? Is it just relationships? Or how do you find these companies? Both, actually. It's, we, have, we have formal mechanisms for looking at these companies, but we also very much rely on our local ecosystems. We have a good engineering presence in South America that reaches out to these people to evaluate what they have, the same type of thing. We've looked at you know, different places in North Africa, in South Africa. Obviously, you know, there are things in Asia that we have traditionally looked at, but there's new areas popping up in Asia that you know haven't have really sort of been overlooked before that we're trying to tap into a little bit more so again we're we're really utilizing our local teams we've got formal and informal processes of looking at this 
um, using our internal teams, using some uh, you know external sources. But again, we're trying to make a, a much more global approach to this than we have before. Global approach gives you great ideas. You might uncover some, a, a new idea or a new technology that if you just focused on this little area, you, you wouldn't have done that. When, you, when you're out there, let's say, scouring the world for new technology, new ideas, new inspirations, what are you looking for? We have specific needs in the company. Like you can always look at the sort of standard, the, the, the three things, the three pillars that you always look for, autonomy, electrification, and communication. Okay, and then infotainment, you know, communication, things like that. But you also, when you evaluate these companies, you look at a couple of different things. What are they doing differently? Are they a one-off of something that other people have done? I remember it was like 10 years ago, everybody was doing things with dongles in the car to, to plug in and you know collect data from the car. And I can't tell you how many different companies approached us about they had a slightly <laughs> different approach. Whereas now you have a lot of people who have you know different approaches to cybersecurity. And you have to look at, okay, are you another one-off where you had people coming out of the military, they've all studied the same things? Or do you have a fundamentally different approach that maybe we can use? You also have to look at, are these you know, people that are just doing lab projects or do they have ideas about how to integrate their technology into the vehicle? Because a great idea is a great idea, but it's kind of worthless if you can't make it work and integrate it into the largest solutions that we have. And then it's a combination of, are the people ready to do that? And is the technology ready to do that? Let's stay on the people track here. You hit the nail on the head and you went to a big pet peeve of mine. You can have the world's greatest technology, but if it's not, if they don't want to run this business, it's not going to succeed. You can't make an argument to your board of why you want to invest or work with this company. And the like, no, nah, we don't really care. It's not going to work. How much do you weigh in that when you're, me when you're meeting with these founders or you're meeting with these early stage companies and you just do you ask them point blank, we're a global OEM. We want to commercialize this. Do you want to commercialize or no before you even waste your time? A little more complex than that. I mean, because they'll always say yes. Of course, they want to sell it and they want to make money. But the question is, when you deal with these startups, do they have experience in commercializing it? Do they have a plan on how to commercialize it? Or in many cases, do they have a partner? Some cases, we can integrate technology from these startups directly. In some cases, we encourage them to work with more of an, a traditional automotive tier one because they've actually shown some benefits of they would integrate the, the startup technology into what they're doing and they're the bridge for us. But there's a bunch of different ways, but that you have to make an honest assumption about is that technology going to be integrated and can it be integrated with the tech and the people that you know are brought forward in these startups. The three things you look for, as you mentioned, autonomy, electrification, communication. When, when, when you're out there, it, are, do you have certain brands in mind? Well, hey, we're kind of looking for this, for this brand, or this, for that brand, or is it a whole Stellantis approach? It's a whole Stellantis approach, but there are different things, again, regionally for communications, you may have slightly different standards. As you go for electrification is a good example that we have, there are different levels of battery technology that you deal with. And a lot of it is the materials that you use, the energy density of the batteries themselves, the cost of the batteries. So you look for a global solution, but again, I mentioned earlier, there are some, some niche solutions that you have to look for depending on the applications and the brand. And we do look for some different things in there too. When you're looking at battery tech, this is well-documented, well-reported Benchmark Minerals, Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, we can go, we can go down the line here. Supply chain around, around batteries, access to the, re, the refineries, access to the mines. 
How much does that supply chain, when you're evaluating potentially battery technology company, do you look to see if they have a secure enough supply supply chain as part of that due diligence process? That is one part of it, yes. Obviously, the base thing we look at is the battery tech that they're bringing forward, whether it's solid state battery, whether it's reducing critical elements in that battery. Those are all critical. But again, we do look part that is part of what we look at is do you have a secure supply or in our case, do we have to secure that if we integrate that technology, do we then have to integrate? Do we then have to secure that supply ourselves? Wow. So that's that's really that's fascinating. How how is Stellantis security supply? Do you have a whole supply team? That's all they do is they look and they manage this all the time, and then they give you feedback based on what you're seeing in the startup community. I wouldn't say it's a completely separate team. I mean, obviously, as part of what we do with our materials management, we've made announcement where you know we have looked at mines, we have done these joint ventures with battery companies, and then the battery companies themselves actually secure the supply. So again, it's sort of it's not a it's not a special group. It's not a special thing. There, it's part of the it's part of the culture now. You have to look at this, and and you know we're talking about battery, you know, securing battery chemistry, battery supplies, raw minerals. We're securing semiconductors the same way. You have to. There's a lot of things that we've learned in the last couple of years on supply securitization that we have to make a lot more, pay a lot more attention to. And since you, since Solana has a very large presence in the EU, are you going down with the EU battery regulations and going into the? Um, the, the, the tracking mechanisms and looking at startups that I- interact and that to potentially integrate it into your overall operations? Yeah, we have, to, that's that's a good point. We've talked a lot about technology, but there are also obviously local regulations, local laws that you have to take into account about where you're getting the supplies, you know, with the technology you're using. Obviously it's part of the job is to make sure you're fully compliant with all of those regional requirements, yes. So what am I missing? Because it seems in our conversation, you've got the whole big picture here. Of, of where you're really trying to go as a brand as you lean into the future. We hope we have the big picture, but you know, you're always learning. There's always things that are popping up. There's always new technology. The job is never done. I mean, it's it's things we've learned a lot. We're still learning a lot. There's we're on the journey, you know, for software defined vehicle, for you know, electrification. We started the journey, we're well into it. The journey's not over. There's a lot to learn yet. And there's still a lot more to apply. Going down that journey, um, I'm not going to give a timeline on this, but just going down a, a journey, will it look to be incorporate more electrification, more autonomy, more connectivity? Are those going to be the three trends that you see for the foreseeable future that you're going to look for? The, the main three. There's always other trends that are going to come along. You know, obviously, we, we, we're talking about technology. There's, you know, there's, you know, net zero emissions in manufacturing process. There is, you know, fully renewables and recycling of the vehicles, all of that. There's all of those things that are associated with it too. Yes. Well, let's put this all together. In your opinion, Steve, what is the future of Stellantis? From my perspective, a lot of it, the future, the future is actually very bright for us because again, we've got a good global presence. We've got a good brand coverage. We're investing in the technologies that we need to. As I said, there's a lot more work to do, but we're, we've taken a lot of the first steps and a lot of the second steps on this. And we're actually doing We've made a lot of public comments about you know where we want to be for electrification, connectivity, autonomy. We are executing on that plan and we're executing well. Not only that, you're making great products that your customers love. And that is the key. You can have the world's greatest product, but if your customers don't like it, you don't have anything. And you're making products that your customers love. Steve, as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them today? The main thing is, is as I've said, we've started this journey on the different technology 
We don't want to alter fundamentally and Jeep is go, you go back to a Jeep as a good example. We don't want to alter the experience of driving a Jeep. We want to augment it with the new technologies, whether it be autonomy, electrification, more connectivity. And, you know, Jeep is the one example I use. As an American, you always talk about Jeep when you work for Stellantis. But globally, there's other products, you know, the Maseratis, the Fiats, the Peugeots. You know, we're making sure that all of this technology augments the experience that the user gets. And it makes it a, a more enjoyable, more relaxing, you know, more safe experience for everyone. And obviously a more green experience as we move towards electrification. It enhances the experience, it increases the safety, and it increases the stickiness. It's a win-win-win all around. You have happy customers who love your products, who feel safe driving your products, eventually be ridden around in your products. Today is tomorrow. Tomorrow is today. The future is Stellantis. Steve, thank you so much for coming on SAE Tomorrow Today. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to join us next week to hear about GKM's unveiling of a new plug-and-play e-drive concept and how it can meet the growing demand for electric vehicles. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.